Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 183 of Yogaland. So for those of you who follow me on Instagram, I mentioned the other day, or maybe it was the newsletter, or maybe it was both, that this week was supposed to be the season finale of season one, but we are in lockdown here in San Francisco, as many of you are around the world, and I thought I would just keep on going when I can keep on going for the next few weeks. I'm going to just keep trying to produce episodes for you. This is a obviously a bonus episode. And Jason and I sat down to talk with Shannon Roche, who is the CEO of Yoga Alliance, and Catherine Marquette, who is the VP of Marketing and Communications at Yoga Alliance. And essentially, most of you probably know that Jason was supposed to teach a training in London starting next week. And with all of the travel restrictions, we couldn't do it. So he reached out to Yoga Alliance to see if he could do it remotely. And they said, actually, yes, we just made an announcement that we are making a temporary exception to allow teachers who have already planned in-person teacher trainings to do them remotely from March 13th to April 13th. And obviously, because the news is changing every day, that end date is fluid as well. So we wanted to talk to Shannon and Catherine a little bit more about their decision and what prompted it. And they wanted to ask us about ways to adapt curriculum from the in-person format to online. So that's the focus of the conversation today. I hope it's valuable to you. And I hope you are all staying well and doing well. And I just, my heart goes out to anyone out there whose family is suffering right now. Lots of love to you. Enjoy the interview. Thank you, Shannon and Catherine, to you both for being here. And, you know, it wasn't all that hard for us to coordinate because we're all working from home right now, like everyone else in the world. Indeed. Thank you so much for having us. And and yes, that is that is an upside. Of, <laughs> and to that point, I will just apologize in advance if I'm visited by either of my kids who is also who are also here with me. So forgive Same me. Same the- here. Yes, yes. <laughs> if we get any interruptions, hopefully we'll be able to edit it out. But if not, I think the audience will understand. I, I think we should change the word of if from when because <laughs> it's going to happen. That's That's totally so true. let's dive in. Okay. All right. So we decided to connect today because, as you know, once the European travel bans came down the pike, Jason and I knew that it would be pretty much impossible for him to get to London. It was supposed to be March 20th to uh, start teaching a live teacher training in the UK. So we reached out to you to find out about the possibility of putting that training online. And you have been helping us figure that out. So I wanted to just see where Yoga Alliance is with this right now, because this is kind of a new, new thing. And I want you to be able to articulate your stance on this for now. Well, first of all, this is Shannon. I'm joined by my colleague, Catherine Marquette. So just to differentiate between our voices. Um, And thank you so much for giving us a chance to speak with your community about this. I think it's so important that we're able to continue offering the these teachings in this moment in time as as uncertain and new as it is for so many of us. If for exactly the reasons that you articulated, Andrea, we are, Yoga Alliance is making a temporary exemption to allow teacher trainings from programs that are currently in progress 
to be taught virtually. We haven't necessarily specified the platform, but to be taught virtually. We actually did that on March 13th. And so as of now, that exemption extends through April. We are, in response to a number of member inquiries that we've heard over just those few days, also looking now at whether we can, should and can extend that end date. So folks can know that we're taking a close look at the, that question and, in fact, may have answered it by the time this, this is broadcast. For now, April 15th. So are you cut off right on the on the date? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Um, April, April 13th. And that 13th. was only because okay. we had announced that exemption on March 13th. So that was one month at the oh. time. That was prior to some of the social distancing restrictions that have been put in place since. I think today is now the 17th. And they've become much more restrictive. And so we are both in response to that and in response to a number of member inquiries looking at whether it makes sense to extend that and hope to have an answer to that question by the end of this week. Yeah, okay. (laughs) We're also asking that to the extent that it is possible that the folks who are using that exemption and offering their trainings virtually to their students make an attempt to do so in a live manner, obviously not live in person. but live in time so that we can, so that, you know, teachers can then replicate, trainers, I should say, can replicate the experience of the in-person training as much as possible. Obviously it's a different kind of engagement, but that person-to-person contact is what we're hoping to be able to retain. Well, I have to applaud you for acting so quickly and being flexible. That's what we, you know, we're always working on our emotional regulation and flexibility in yoga. So, I mean, it's it's great that you have responded so quickly to what's going on. But let's just clarify. So if someone, let's say, has an upcoming training, what process should they follow to mm-hmm. make sure that people get credit? And, mm-hmm. and like, what's the criteria? Like, it, their training has to have already been scheduled between March 13th, for now, between March 13th and April 13th? Mm-hmm. So... I'll answer to the best of my ability. I'll invite Catherine, of course, to jump in at any point or to follow up if there's anything I haven't missed or I haven't covered. But I will preface that by saying, I think that this, like many things that are happening in all of our lives at the moment is a little bit of a work in progress. We are trying our very best to be as ahead of these questions as we can in an effort to support members in this time and space that is unknown. And in doing that, we are both trying to move quickly and also, you know, I'll just say up front, may not have answered every single sort of detailed question that comes up in the course of someone administering a training, which I hope that folks will bring those questions to us because we absolutely want to then go back and and look again and make sure that we've made it as easy as possible for people. Um, So just know that it wasn't our intention to have missed something and please flag it for us so we can do a better job but we're just trying to trying to be supportive as quick as we can. But to your question around, you know, how would someone qualify for this and what are the criteria? We're trying to make it as simple as possible while still just making sure that we have records of what's going on so that if in, you know, some future moment, a participant in a program were to call us with a concern about the program of any sort, that we would have kind of known, you know, what was happening at, in the program at that time. Um, so we're just asking school owners to email our team at info at yogaalliance.org. I always tell people it's uh, yoga alliance, one word, but two A's and two L's. <laughs> and we're asking folks to just send us some really, I think, basic information, the name of the RYS, the dates of the training program overall, to the extent that they know it, the dates that they are planning to offer 
virtual training and then the total number of hours that they're intending to deliver virtually. Not placing restrictions on educational category, right? The idea is that we really do want to support people social distancing and flattening the curve as much as we can. <laughs> so we're all getting a little creative. <laughs> Catherine, yeah. anything you want to hear that I missed? No, I think that was absolutely right. And hi, everybody. This is Catherine Marquette's voice to differentiate from Shannon's. That was exactly right. And this does pertain to not just yoga teacher training programs at the RYS 200, 300, or 500, but it does include our continuing education training programs as well. We've had a number of members who are running yin training programs or restorative training programs that qualify more under the continuing education banner. And this exemption, this temporary exemption does count for those courses as well. Great. Great. Okay. Yeah. And again, Andrea already thanked you, but one of my first thoughts when I realized I wasn't going to be able to make it to London for this training, and just for context, the training that I was scheduled to do in London, March 23rd to April 4th, is the final 100 hours of a 300-hour program. So, (laughs) Right. So it's so important to maintain the continuity of that learning. And it's from people all over the world. And so one of my first thoughts is, okay, this is going to be a challenge. This is going to be a big uphill battle. And the first thing we need to sort out is whether or not Yoga Alliance is going to support this process and acknowledge these hours without contingencies placed on them. And so I was so happy to be in contact with you all and and see that you are responding really in the same way that all the educational environments are currently having to respond to this unknown. Right. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and I'll invite you too. I hope if, you know, if you have questions or if you, you know, if you sort of in the course of sharing that learning with your students, if you sort of encounter details that we missed or that you'd like us to kind of clarify for you, please be in touch with our member services team. They are on the phones constantly with members, um, just trying to help people think through this, this sort of new permutation of teacher training and teaching. Great. Well, we have, I think, the advantage that you have done some shorter continuing ed trainings online. Yeah. So you have kind of played with a few different formats and platforms and structures. Yeah. But this is like a whole different beast. This is a new beast. So if you guys would like, I'm happy to give some context for the two different things that I've done online and what I have learned about converting live experiences to the digital interface. Because I was actually someone that never really wanted to do that, but I thought that it was a wise decision years ago to be able to transmit what I had to teach teachers into a into a broader platform. And I've worked with a lot of different learning management specialists over the years in order to think about as a live teacher that's used to working in long formats, how to convert long format type teaching into the way that people consume digital information. And I'll also tell you that I think that there are actually, strangely enough, a few advantages to online learning Mm -hmm. over live learning, or I should say in-person learning, because, Mm. because it's kind of a combination of those things. So just to be really brief about it, I have... I think for maybe five or six years, I have created continuing education courses on yogaglow.com. And when I have created those courses, one of the most important things that I've learned is 
how students learn online. And I've learned the process of essentially making much smaller, shorter increment videos. That's one context. And those are all pre-recorded. This, what we're all venturing into, which is more live and specifically tailored to your current audience. So when we say live, we mean live streaming. Live streaming. In case people aren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thanks for that clarification. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. So we have the one model, which is you create online content and anyone can take it at any time. Now we have this new model, which we're all kind of rushing to sort out, which is not pre-recorded content that anyone can do, but transitioning your live classroom training into an online classroom training. And that's what we are all in the midst of sorting out. I actually would agree with Jason that what you said about that there are some advantages. I have done a lot of online learning over the past 10 years, kind of started out just as an interest in blogging uh, while I was working full time. And it was the easiest way to learn about, you know, bringing my writing online and things like that and self-publishing. But I've done a lot of different online learning courses. And I'm now just venturing into doing, to creating some myself. And I think that when you are, when you move from a format where you are sitting in front of a bunch of people and they can feel your energy and they can feel your charisma and you can kind of extemporaneously talk about a subject, it's a little bit more loose, believe it or not. When you're online and you're teaching to a camera and you know you need to hold their attention, you have to be incredibly organized and succinct. Because, and I think you really also have to chunk things up quite a bit more. You have to really get your topics really concrete and grounded and make the videos not digestible, like five to 10 minutes, but you, you know, you can't talk for five hours right? and you have to really, you just have to be really organized yeah, and really concise. Yeah. So I can start to give a couple examples. And then if you guys want to jump in with any questions or feedback, So the morning practices that I am doing for this upcoming training that we are now hosting online instead of live, um, the morning practice is three hours. But when I do a three-hour online segment, I have to really cut that. That can't be one nine-to-noon experience. That has to be cut up into three to four to maybe even five slightly shorter increments. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the reasons is, like Andrea said, is when you're in the room with a group of students and a teacher, that room is going to help facilitate your attention and your engagement. But the reality is when you're starting to do things online, especially more in isolation, you are inevitably going to have more distractions. There's going to be more things that come up for you. And so as the digital teacher in that space, you have to plan for it. You can't assume that from nine to noon, people are going to be 100% unabated, ready to do their practice with no interruptions. The other thing that can happen for people is they can have not only interruptions of life, but interruptions of Wi-Fi. You just, you never know the tech can be not necessarily complicated, but it can be fickle. And so in doing so as the teacher, what we want to do is essentially just factor in more breaks 
But when you factor in more breaks, like Andrew was saying, is you have to have much more organization. You have to say, okay, right now for the next 10 minutes, we are going to do a gratitude meditation. And then you do the meditation. And then you say, we just finished the gratitude meditation. Now for the next 25 minutes, we're going to do the preparations for our vinyasa practice. And when we do our vinyasa practice today, we are going to be focusing on A, B, C, D, and E. So one of the things that we know from best practices within education is that people learn best when they know what they're trying to learn. And they also learn best when you reinforce what they just learned. And so as the teacher, you have to be organized enough in this space to say, in this practice, I am going to teach you a sun salutation flow, and we're going to focus on the rotation of the shoulder joint and the motion of the scapula or whatever it is, right? And then you teach that class and ideally you chunk it into slightly smaller segments and then you reinforce what you've been doing. Because again, you you can't hope that everyone is going to pay attention to the same degree that they are in a live room. So you have to be more skillful at clarifying and reiterating And as a yoga teacher, I think we always worry a little bit about sounding like a broken record, like I do. You know, we always worry about it. But the student in an online experience, because they're going to be a little bit more inevitably distracted, life is going to come up. They're not in a removed setting. You really have to be a much more of a broken record. So those, I think, are are two of the first big things. Number one, being very specifically, being much more highly organized because you, you just can't wing this environment. And then the second thing is assuming that people are going to have less attention and that therefore you have to truncate their experience. You have to kind of shorten those increments and you have to give very clear, concise feedback as to what you're doing and why you're doing it at that time. That is unbelievably helpful and so interesting also i know and catherine you as a teacher and and teacher trainer may have a lot of questions about this (laughs) Um, you know i have a couple that come to mind just right away and just thinking about being more organized and assuming that you know that one's attention span for all kinds of reasons might be shorter than it would normally be in you know an in-person setting asking for brand names necessarily, but sort of, you know, kinds of resources. Have you all found that there are additional sort of tools that you found useful to offer your students in support? So I think two things, and I, and I will give a name, which is Andrea and I really love, and we, this is obviously not a commercial, we have no stake in it, but we use Airtable, airtable.com, which is a it's like Google Sheets or Excel. It's a spreadsheet program, but it is so user-friendly and pretty and shareable. Mm-hmm. Like, I love it. And so I have been using Airtable for maybe maybe four or five months just to organize other aspects of my teaching and life and social media calendar. But what I have done is because I have a pretty massive curriculum that... Mm-hmm. But okay, so I have a very significant curriculum that makes sense to me in my brain because it is only prompts. So I have a curriculum that it says essentially is my shorthand that says day one, module two, focus on A, B, C, D, E, F, G, period, right? Because I've done it so many times. But now 
now I'm able to go into something airtable.com. And I think depending on the size of the plan that you get, it's, it can be free or it's pretty inexpensive. And then you can just schedule. So I can say nine o'clock to nine fifteen opening meditation, mindfulness meditation. I can organize it in a very simple, clean way. And then I can export that, or I can share that information with my students. So let's say I put my entire syllabus, which I am into this program. Now I've written in such a way that it's not just for my brain, but it's also a supplementary tool. So students can see here's our schedule for every moment of every day and all of the notes for that day, because they have, they have the structure that you are going to be using. This is another thing. So in my continuing education courses, I've always had chats. So I'm used to talking to doing live chats. And as a teacher, and Catherine probably knows this, you know, you can, as a yoga teacher, when you're in a room with a bunch of people, you, you have the adrenaline and you have the interaction and you can speak extemporaneously pretty much on any subject for a long time. <laughs> but as the teacher, when you don't have that feedback, when you're just looking at yourself in a webcam, you're going to freeze up. You know what I mean? So, so as the teacher, you have to have a much more organized syllabus to prompt you. We, we actually got a trial run three weeks ago. I was teaching and one day I had really bad food poisoning. And so the next day, because I didn't know if it was a virus or food poisoning, I Skyped in a lecture because there's a group of 50 people there. So I Skyped in a two and a half hour lecture and, and it went so well because I already had my notes for that lecture. And I was able to, to speak from those notes. So bottom line, as a teacher, you really want to have some organizational tools that you can share with your students and Airtable is a really good place to start for sure. I want to just chime in here with a little story. Jason, you also have, I don't know if you really sort of count this in your experience, but you also have the experience of for several years, you did a chat once or twice a month for glow.com yes. because he yeah. had his courses. courses there. And so anybody who took, took the course could come to the chat and ask him questions live. And he would sit, you know, in the front of our house and do this chat. And as soon as the chat started, when he first started doing them, I would hear Jason like yelling into space, like, <laughs> hi, everyone, I'm here. Blah, blah, blah. It was like the whole house, like booming. Because yeah. you're in yoga teacher voice, not right? Not his personality. Totally. But he was in yoga teacher voice and there was no one to absorb yes. the energy. So he was like taking it up 12 notches yeah, just you're... to like fill the space, you know? Yeah. And now, like I noticed when you did that lecture a few weeks ago, you were much more less, comfortable. You were yeah. much, you were speaking in a much more typical cadence. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm offering this in a way to just let people know that part of moving your curriculum from one place to the other in either direction mm-hmm. is going to, it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable at first, going to take some getting used to. And it's just like anything, like the more you practice it and you understand the medium, just the more comfortable it will be become. Yeah. Agreed. Oh my gosh. So this is Catherine chiming. And first of all, Jason, I think you stole my syllabus from this past weekend. We wrapped up the last teacher training weekend in person before we are now switching 
to finish it up digitally or virtually. And we did Suriname scarpies and the scapulohumeral rhythm and external rotation, all of that. So that made me chuckle when you use that as that example. But I will say I'm definitely going to be looking into a tool like Airtable. I've been using OneNotes, which is a beautiful organizational system in my mind. It works really well with my mind, but I have found that it's not shareable in the least bit. And it doesn't work at all with that scheduling type aspect of it. So we had a few students who weren't able to come in person this past weekend. And they actually asked, is there a way to share this easily? And I started realizing this is not the right tool. Like I don't have this set up to be able to work in this environment. So it's great to know that there are tools like there, such as Airtable and others, I'm sure that are going to make this transition easier for everybody. Yeah, I think the other the other it's a simpler spreadsheet. Uh, it's not as dynamic, but I know that it is free. If just for some reason, if Airtable, like if there's a cost to if you share it to a certain number, um, another tool is just Google Sheets. Yeah, Google mm-hmm. Sheets, or I mean, I actually use Dropbox a lot. Yeah. yeah, with my online courses, just because there is no limit to the number of people you can share things with. I I shared some meditations once on my Google Drive and. It bonked out after a certain number of people downloaded. Can I share a couple of other just thoughts about educational best practices in the learning space, which is, so teacher trainings, there's a certain irony to teacher trainings, even when they're in person, which is you sit around a lot. Like it's actually really weird in teacher training programs, yoga teacher training programs, how much we just sit around and talk. You know what I mean? We're in these intensives and people's bodies just feel horrible because they've just been sitting around for hours, right? Uh, And then all of a sudden they do like a three-hour intense practice. So I think that that experience is really magnified at home. And so as the teacher, you want to set up your day to diversify the experience of the student, right? There's only so many hours of an anatomy lecture in a row that you can do in person, let alone (laughs) online. So, right. So you have to be better at looking at your content target for the day. So let's say on any given day, you want meditation, you want pranayama, you want asana, you want yoga nidra, you want an anatomy lecture, and you want some teaching methodology about sequencing. I would say you want to break all of those things up as much as you can so that, because again, in a room, students start to become saturated. There's just no doubt about it. But online, not only do they get saturated, but online, not only can they become more distracted, but in some ways online, there's less accountability. Like someone can start fussing around on their phone or a different web browser, or they can start to do things in their own environment when they get bored or distracted that they would never do in a, in an actual classroom. And so not only should each increment that you're teaching be more chunked up, but you want to diversify. So I know that for me, I try to give a maximum of an hour long anatomy lecture. And then we do a short 20 minute practice to feel that anatomy. And then after that, we do a 40-minute philosophy lecture. And then after that, we do a 10-minute sequencing. So you just you want to just assume that you want to assume a little bit more like you, I don't want to say entertaining, but you have to be Moving things along. You almost have to be more parent-like in your ability to kind of continue to redirect and move things along. Mm. 
So, which, which again, you can only do that if you are highly organized, you mm -hmm. have to organize. You can't just say, okay, I need to teach a hundred hours over the next two weeks. I'm going to start talking now. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. And it's not that you do that in person. No, no, no. But I think that like one of the things obviously that happens in person is you respond to the students that are right in front of you. Yeah. You respond to their questions. You respond to their body language. You respond to their energy. You respond to what's in the room. And so without that, I think it's the point we're trying to make. Without Correct. that, being being able to respond to anyone, you, mm -hmm. you, you have to kind of be much more proactive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys. And by the way, this is so fun because I feel like we're interviewing you <laughs> as opposed to you interviewing us. But obviously, we're talking a lot from the trainer perspective, which is critical and what a lot of our members are going to want to hear and what a lot of your audience will want to know. But I'm also curious, what advice do you give to the trainees? Because the trainees might not live in luxurious apartments or houses with all this sort of space to then conversely be able to create an environment at home or wherever they are that's going to be conducive to this type of learning. So do you have any tips on how trainers can work with trainees to best set up that home environment for this? Yeah, I have a couple ideas. And again, the first thing I'm going to say is contingent upon the social distancing measures and what different people feel comfortable with in different locations, right? So this is kind of an evergreen conversation that we're having about transitioning in person to online. But right now we're talking about in the context of a, of a viral situation that we all need to step back from. The plan was going to be for my training that members, it was going to be at Tri-Yoga in London. And one option was that if you wanted to take the course at Tri-Yoga, they were going to provide a room to do that in. So if you were in London and you wanted to be there together and you didn't have that space at home, then you could mm -hmm. gather at that location. My, my guess is that that will not be a viable option, but I got an email from a couple of my students this morning that there's some different kind of practice parties that people are already starting to organize. And again, this, this is, like I said, for this particular training, these students already know each other pretty well. So if you're working with people that already know each other, you might have the option of saying, hey, if anyone feels comfortable and wants to be a host, if you feel like this is safe to have a small group in your home, then that's one option. I would say the other option is I practiced yoga for a very, very long time, mostly at home in an apartment that was eight by 10. It's mm -hmm. doable. Yeah. All you need is the space of a yoga mat. It's, it really is, you know, it's just one of these things. And also the software that people are going to be using, whether it's Vimeo or whether it's Zoom or whether it's the Google Hangouts, those are going to work both on Android, iOS. They're going to work on laptops. So I think that, I think it's pretty portable. Even if someone has a decent connection on their phone, it is so not ideal but we're not dealing with an, with an ideal global situation. So I, I think people can, can make do. I would say one more thing too, on the teacher's perspective, I think it would be a little bit more challenging to convert a more prop intensive experience mm -hmm. because people might not have all those props at home. So it might be harder to include a prop intensive experience as the teacher you want to be sensitive I mean, if you're teaching sort of restorative Judith Lasseter work, that's one thing. But if you can de-escalate your prop use, 
so you don't have to do every backbend through six chairs, that's probably <laughs> helpful for your students. Yeah, for sure. We had an inver- inversion focused workshop this past weekend as well and no props. So we did mainly just Adamuga Vrikshasana and Pinchamayarasana and saved Shirshasana and Salamba Sarvangasana for later due to totally. the need for props. I would even put one more thing, which is just from my experience teaching online classes, not even courses, is some people don't have wall space, you know? Right. So, or they have wall space, but it's not where their laptop is, or they have to they have to move seven things and try to push their couch away. So as teachers, we have to understand that the students are not taking this experience in a classroom and we need to probably even give more options. So, okay, you guys, we're going to use a foam roller, but listen, if you don't have a foam roller, you know, find a block. If you don't have a block, if you have a metal water bottle, you know what I mean? Like you, you have to be very industrious and sorting out at-home solutions. You don't have a strap, you can get your belt. <laughs> that's, a, that's an inside, that's this an inside an old, old, old scar, <laughs> Andrea, if in these a, troubled times. If you don't have times. a block, go grab a brick. Don't even start. <laughs> well, this is a, all right, Catherine, you can settle it. Is it a, <laughs> no. is it a strap or is it a, is it a belt? Oh, I'm so afraid of what I'm going <laughs> to walk in. <laughs> okay, you can say, you can be smart enough to say no. <laughs> belt though. I'm gonna I'm gonna be steady in the belt. See, the reason I asked you okay. is because I know that you have an Iyengar. It's a belt, <laughs> and Iyengar used it for his Iyengar jeans. <laughs> it's a long story. Anyway, sorry to pull you into this. Uh, anyway, yes, yes. I um, I love. You know what I I just so love about what you just shared too is as you know sort of challenging and as creative as it sounds like it can call, it either can be or can call people to be. You know, if you're thinking about what you just shared, Andrea and Jason, are from the perspective of a trainer, right? It really does give the trainers the opportunity to invite their students, the future teachers, to think differently about who might be showing up in their classrooms, right? I mean, it's, you know, absolutely individual bodies are, you know, face many of the same challenges that you just described just because, you know, but not perhaps because of the physical space they're in, but the the challenges remain regardless. So in a way, it's just, it's an almost a nice way to teach that. <laughs> it is. I think the other thing that, that tags onto that really well is, you know, God willing, we will still have really happy, healthy yoga studios forever and always. And also people practice at home. So as the teacher trainer, knowing how to relate to your students in this environment who are going to be practicing at home is going to help you think about at-home online audiences. Mm-hmm. Because in the future, if not already, to be, a, uh, to be a solvent yoga teacher, you're going to be teaching at studios and you're probably also going to be having some sort of online presence. It can be something as simple as some online live things via Instagram live or something on a more involved platform, but you want to be able to educate your students in different environments. I love what you just said. I completely concur with your assessment that the, you know, the future is sort of a both and right. And I think I've had this conversation with a number of teachers over the last number of days. And I, I know that there's a lot of just worry about whether that will prove to be true. I don't want to get into the predicting the future in this moment, but 
the conversations that I have had have all centered around how important the actual community is that is being built in, you know, in a training or in a studio or in a class or in a space. So I wonder if there's anything that either of you wants to share with your listeners, with our members about how to translate that community building aspect to the online or to the virtual space. I think that would be hugely valuable. So um, I'm just going to give one really small thing. And then I think Andrea can speak to this even better than me, which is just the one example of this hundred hour training that I've just converted I am going to do it. So it's going to be done a hundred percent. It all fits within your March 13 to 14 mm-hmm. timeline. And I know that might change, but so it'll be complete then, but I am scheduled to be back there in August and for another training for a different training. And I'm going to do a complimentary four day practice and training with this group. So mm-hmm. everyone that can join and get together that's where we'll do it. So my goal is maybe if this were just a a weekend immersion, it it might be different, right? If it was a smaller continuing education, but you know, if this is part of a 200 hour program, part of a 300 hour program, something more ongoing, I think then the teacher's willingness to show up in a live space with that group or as many people that you can reconstitute from that group, I think is really important there is going to be the inherent community aspect of we are going to be on Vimeo live streams and we're going to be on Zoom rooms because they they serve slightly different functions for me personally. And there is that interactivity, but it's different. And I'm bummed. I really love this group. So I'm looking forward to seeing them as soon as we can see each other. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can add to the the idea of com- building community online a bit because of Jason's travel for the past seven years and me being the primary stay-at-home parent, I haven't really had the choice to go out and form community, you know, IRL. So all of my community is online right now. And I have run a self-care and meditation course online a few times in the past year and a half. And I started a private face group for that group. And I was honestly so pleasantly shocked by how much community was built in that group, especially the very first session. And so if people want to connect, Mm -hmm. there are ways for them to connect and there are ways for them to connect with you. So like I said, the first group was just incredibly connected. Like someone posted, where are you from? And, you know, like a hundred people responded where they were from, which was amazing. And then people would put, you know, post photos of them meditating. And we did some journaling and people, some, one woman posted photos of some illustrations she drew after being inspired by a meditation. And then, you know, as time went on and I got more comfortable with that platform, I started to do, in this very last session that I led, I did in addition to the pre-recorded meditations that they got with the course, I did a couple of live stream meditations. So I would like get up in the morning, rush my daughter to school, rush back, sit down on my cushion because I wanted to make the time decent enough so that my my people in Europe would be just getting home from work and it wouldn't be bedtime. But anyway, so I rush home, sit down, just like turn on my phone literally and lead a meditation. And so that was another way to connect with people. And the people who... A lot of, and I I also allowed the people who had done the course the first time to just keep doing it. Like if you've done it once, you can always join the group again. 
So it's a really big group now. And I literally feel like I know many of these people. And Candace, like Candace did my. Yeah. And when I met, I just, one of Jason's students did this course with me. And then I met her at one of his modules like two weeks ago. And I literally felt like I knew her. Yeah. So <laughs> it is possible. It's, I mean, I would like to start doing things in person too. I think a combination is really, really ideal, but it is possible. But I want to chime in super quick, which is, I kind of joked around early on with Andrea about saying this is kind of before social distancing was. And I said, I've been practicing social distancing for the first 45 years of my life (laughs) with the exception of actually teaching a class. Right. But one of the things that I'm finding, and I don't know how this will go, but over the course of the last week, like I'm texting every day with my niece. I never used to text with my niece. I'm talking every day to my parents. I used to talk to them once a week the amount of friends that have reached out and been like, Hey, let's talk because everyone's life is so interrupted. We're not on that autopilot in the same way. So clearly our relationship to community is different right now, but I feel a sense of really close intimacy with my loved ones now. And and again, that that's, that's also a little bit of the, the anxiety that myself and everyone else is probably experiencing. We're reaching out to each other. But I feel like if the social distancing lasts for a while, what else are we going to do, man? Other than actually do this kind of work together and whether it's Facebook groups or YouTube live or whatever it is, I think people are going to, we're going to keep interacting in, in interesting ways. Some of my friends and I this past weekend were discussing it as physical distancing, but social solidarity. Mm. I agree with that. So that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, That's great. That's a great way to think about it. That's how we should frame it. It is how we should frame it. It's physical distancing, (laughs) but it's not social distancing. It's, it's different. Right. You know, know, the other tool that I might just offer to to any listeners too is, and and I do a lot of this because I think I am the the lone non-teacher in this conversation. Um, and in my role at Yoga Alliance, a lot of what I do is, is sort of look to other disciplines and spaces for learnings that we can apply to this set of disciplines and spaces and community. And I'm familiar with this, whatever with what I'm about to share, because we at Yoga Alliance have been sort of making the shift ourselves. We asked our team to work remotely starting last Tuesday, so a week ago now, began as optional and then began as required on Monday. And we've been doing a ton of research around how to, what are best practices in, you know, managing or running virtual, not just virtual teams, but virtual organizations, right? And so I'm spending a lot of time these days on magazines like Wired and Inc. and Fast Company and sort of like tech-oriented stuff, business, tech business-oriented stuff, those those sort of organisms, right, organizations have been thinking about those questions for a really long time. And all of the lessons apply, right? So I would just offer, you know, as you're moving into these new spaces and these new ways of being to just take a minute and think about who has had to think about these questions before for different reasons. And then, you know, we're all sitting in front of our computers these days. So there's a lot of learning to be found just in kind of reframing it that way. That's interesting. That's so interesting. I would love to know more about, you know, yeah, as you find out more, let us know. Because, I mean, I we've started in the, in the past year, year and a half, I use Slack with like anybody who works with us or who I quote unquote manage. That's been really helpful. But 
And and there's always sort of a like a next thing and a new thing. I just learned about Trello. Like I didn't know about Trello before, and I know a lot of people use Asana as well for project management, which I've never used. Our team isn't quite big enough yet that we need to do that. Well, we, we can do, still look at each other. No, but we. I mean, I, we yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and you know we may think about how to kind of collate some of these resources that we've been pulling together just for ourselves and our own transition for folks. But one, I'll just share one, you know, sort of quirky example that wouldn't have occurred to me had I not had reason to think about this. You know, organizations that have done really well in building their operation virtually and building a culture virtually all seem to suggest that one thing that they do is some equivalent of like scheduling a 15 minute, either once a day or once a week or whatever works for them, like water cooler meeting, you know, so it's you know, sort of, oh. so there's time that is separate from the, you know, the work time or the training time or whatever the, the subject might be, that is literally just that get this community of people online to just chit chat, right? That so that that's so great. That just to blow off steam yeah, and yeah, like yeah. shoot the breeze and connect. Yeah, and not for just sure. be all focused all the time. Sure. Really smart. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I w- I'm going to put that in my spreadsheet. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. Yeah, I yeah, will tell you the initials that I'm going to use before it, but yeah. <laughs> but there's fun. lots of that kind of stuff online, and yeah. you know, we'll do what we can to help folks find it, but would certainly encourage other people to, to take a look at those things too, because for no other reason, they're interesting, and we might have some time on our hands. <laughs> I know, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's really shift. We're... Uh. We got to just, we have to just roll with it. We all have to just work together and support each other and keep moving forward. So thank you for supporting all the yoga teachers uh, to be able to do this right now. Thank you for inviting us to the conversation. We really appreciate it. Happy to come back any time. And I'd be remiss if I didn't just offer, you know, in in this moment, this isn't evergreen conversation, but in this moment, as we're having it, I do just want to let everybody know that we all at Yoga Alliance are really thinking about how people are impacted by this all the time and sending everybody wishes for, you know, health and safety and wellness. Catherine, I don't know if you have anything you want to add, but know that everybody's on our minds. Honestly, just really appreciate the time that you two have given us today and think it's going to be really important to share with the broader community. And as Shannon said, we're really grateful to sit in the role that we do at Yoga Alliance and are committed to supporting everybody as we can through this really uncomfortable and unusual time. Um, if anyone has any suggestions or thoughts, please reach out to us at info at We're here to help and stay safe. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much. And reach out if you need anything from us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. Hunker down where you are. And as I said, stay well, wash your hands, eat good food, read good books, get lots of rest, do your meditation or your yoga practice or both. Do some uh, jumping jacks in your house. That's what we've been doing for Sophia's gym class. It works. And I will talk to you very soon. If you enjoy Yoga Land, I always appreciate when you share it or when you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. All right, sending you much love and good health.